0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So today we're going to talk about fellowship and gathering. This is our final one. And so we want to talk about what it looks like to be in fellowship and gathering as a church. And so let me pray for us as we kind of jump in here, and then we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews and look a little bit at the uh, idea of fellowship and gathering. Jesus, we're grateful For this time, I'm grateful for how you move, even, Lord, when sometimes we don't know how you're doing it. And uh, I just give you thanks that you're God and we're not. And uh, we just thank you for all the wonderful things that you continue to do in our lives, but also in the world around us. And so now as we look at your word and look at this Concepts of uh, fellowship and gathering, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you show us yourself in the word today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, which I think everybody has one. If you don't, I've got an extra one up here. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, In my Bible, it's 1006, but that may not be helpful for you uh, as to what page it is. Let's see. Where would it be in here? 865. 865, yes. 865 and if you have one of the paperback Bibles so when I say the words before we read the scripture when I say the words fellowship and gathering what comes to mind to you what do you think about when I say that parties Parties. all right Uh, what else holidays okay yeah food okay good anything else by the way, we do all those things really well around here. Uh, gathering, uh, holidays, parties, enjoying each other, all those things. Um, one of the things that I think the writer of Hebrews wants us to think about when we think about fellowship and gathering is actually the Greek word ekklesia. And if you know anything about the Greek language, that's that's one that's used often from the book of Acts through Uh, Paul's writings as well, meaning the church. The church as the gathering or the fellowship. And so, in follow up to that, what if I said, if I ask you this question, I'm curious your answer. What is the purpose of the church? The living body of Christ. Okay. Good. What else? What's the purpose? A gathering place. A gathering place, yes. There are many churches actually with that name uh, called The Gathering Place. Yes. What else when I say the church? To make disciples and spread the gospel. Yeah, to make disciples and spread the gospel. Absolutely. Well, the brighter of Hebrews gives us a little definition of the church and what it looks like to be the church together. And that's where I want to kind of focus in and help us answer that question fully today. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23, is where I want to pick up. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but engaging or encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near, if I had to, if we had time to go through the entire book of Hebrews, we could see that the book of Hebrews is actually—it's uh, a book that kind of guides the church, the ecclesia, on how to worship the King Jesus. First, and we see a little bit of it, just kind of tied up in these few verses. Number one is the church is called to hold fast. Hold fast to the confession that you know. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. We know that uh, the writer is often called the preacher. Um, Some say it's uh, Paul. Some say it might be uh, one of Paul's apprentices that's writing this. We really don't have a lot of uh, understanding of where the book of Hebrews... uh, But we know who it's written to, but we don't know who it is. But the writer, the preacher is saying... Hold fast to the confessions that you know. And so he's drawing all the way back from the gospel ministry of Jesus. And he's saying, hold fast to this confession. The gospel confession is to be the cornerstone of the church, the worship of the church, an acknowledgement of the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an acknowledgement as sinners in need of saving." A clinging to the sure promise that Christ, that in Christ we are made righteous by the blood shed on the cross by Jesus. That's the hold fast to those confessions, hold fast to the things that we know the church to be. And then he says, and as a result, Jesus is faithful to his church when we hold fast. Says, for he who promised is faithful. There's a promise there given to us that as we hold fast to those things of the church, Jesus is faithful. And then in his faithfulness, what are we called to do then? Not only to hold fast, but to consider how to stir up one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. And so again, if we're thinking about what's the church there for, yes, it's all those things that you mentioned and all those things flow out of holding fast to a confession that we know to be true, trusting that Jesus is faithful, and then stirring one another up. Now, when I read the word stirring up, I often think about, maybe Maybe you're like me, I think about don't let each other get lazy. You know, um, we used to joke when I was in Florida at a, at a church there in Florida, um, we came up with the term uh, pew potato. Uh, which was always a funny term because we had a lot of pew potatoes. We had a lot of people that liked to just come and sit in the pew and they didn't do anything else. Uh, they they would show up on Sunday and then they would leave and we wouldn't see them again and we wouldn't know who they were and we, we wouldn't have any idea what they were all about. Um, and we would always, there was always kind of this joking, hey, we'd really like to take you if you're a pew potato and engage you. We'd like to know who you are. And, and we'd kind of work the whole thing where, listen, I know it's scary when you start to get known, uh, when, when people start to know who you are and, and, and really know about you, but part of the church is caring for one another's needs. It's stirring one another up in good deeds. It's knowing what we struggle with, where we hurt, where we succeed. It's walking in life with others to be known by others. And something happens when we start to be known by others that, again, is really scary for people. It is we enter into each other's mess. And if you don't think you have a mess, just just step back from your life for a minute and, and watch. It's a me- my, my life's a mess. It's crazy. There are things that go on that I'm like, how in the world does this keep happening? Like, um, You know, and and anybody who has kids, you know, life is a mess. I mean, it's just chaos all around you all the time. But there's messiness in life because we're living in a broken world and therefore things aren't perfect. And so even in our own lives, we struggle with things. We we uh, we hurt over things. And part of being known is that you're willing to enter into the mess. Fontaine just said the hope is that you'd be plugged into a small group somewhere. Uh, You could easily, like many churches, you could come to the Advent every Sunday and never be known. We are big enough that you could sit in the back of the church and never talk to anyone. And no one would ever know who you are. And if that's what you want, I don't want to discourage that. You're still here. That's great. But what we really want for you is to experience fellowship and gathering in the way that the Hebrew writer says, to stir one another up in good deeds. So that disciples are being made so that we are being the living church with one another and to enter into the mess means it's the busyness of life. It's the things we struggle with. It's the hardships that go on. And we understand that even as we share those things, we're still in it together as chaos comes. There's an opportunity every time when you get involved with a small group, I will guarantee you this will happen at some point, and Fontaine's seen it thousands of times, that as a new small group forms, they they start to build relationships, and a lot of times those are, they start out as surface relationships, hey, how are you, who are you, what's your family all about, and then as you spend more time together, you get a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, and then all of a sudden, absolute chaos comes uh, because somebody didn't get along with somebody or somebody said something that hurt somebody else, or somebody did this, and this family did this, or whatever it might be, and there's an opportunity in that chaos to fall into what we would call the pit of despair, where you just go, I'm out, I'm done, it's not worth it, I'm over it. And then you might try it again later, and then when you get to that pit of despair, you'll go the same thing, well, I'm out. The real fellowship and the real gathering happens when we get past the pit of despair and the chaos to experience true fellowship with one another, where we say, hey, we're in this and it's messy and it's ugly, but we love each other because Jesus loves us. And we're willing to enter that and we're willing to walk with each other. And nobody's looking at us like we've got three heads when we said, hey, uh, I can't stand my children right now because they're driving me nuts. Um, Because we've all been there at times, right? And so we need God's grace to, to love in those ways. And so um, these are the essence of a healthy church, fellowship and gathering. They're messy, but oftentimes in the ugliness is when Christ shows up and really begins to solidify what it looks like to be in fellowship. It is simultaneously broken and beautiful all at the same time. And confession time. In my own confession, I know and maybe, probably it never happened to any of you guys as you go to church. But there have been times that I've come to church as a priest and gone through the motions and gone home and said, I don't even know what happened today. I don't even know what the sermon was about. Sometimes I play the music and I will get home and go, I don't even remember the songs we played. Now, how crazy is that, that I'm the one playing and singing them? Um, sometimes I preach and go, the, the Monday after, I don't remember what I preached on. Because I disengage at times. And again, maybe that's just me. None of you probably ever had that problem. That's great. But part of being the church is that I'm engaging with the people around me. I'm engaging with the things that are happening. And I have to do that consciously. Or oftentimes it won't happen. So in the context of worship, to engage with and to fellowship and to worship requires us to move from being consumers of the church to producers or participants in the church. And in the Western culture church, and this is a soapbox of mine, I think, in the Western culture church, we often will train people to become consumers and we don't even realize we're doing it. Think about it. We're saying, hey, come to church, sit and listen and let all the professionals up at the front do what they do. And then when you leave, you're good to go. I think there's a flaw in that, right? Number one, we're not professional Christians, as though some might perceive us to be. But number two, where the real growth and challenge and fellowship happens within the church is oftentimes not on Sunday morning. That's a catalyst for what would happen outside of this. And so when we gather, we come, and it requires us to not just say, I'm going to come and sit and disengage but I'm going to come and sit and I'm going to pray for those who are leading. I'm going to pray for the music. I'm going to pray for the sermon. I'm going to engage with somebody afterwards. Maybe we'll take them to lunch and say, hey, what did you get out of that? What did I get out of that? How are we engaging with one another? And so you're being the church together as you meditate on the scripture, the word, the songs, all those things. You're engaging as a participant at that point. Now, I will say... In the Episcopal church, it's a little harder just to be a consumer because we got you sitting and standing and like you do the Episcopal aerobics every Sunday, right? Um, okay, we're going to sit here, we're going to stand here, we're going to kneel here, we're going to stand back up here. You can only sit here. Now, now, you know, you you get it, right? Like, whoa, 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 where am I going here? We got you as engaged as we can, but still there's there's a point where you can go through the motions. And so we want you to be engaged. And part of that engagement is that you begin to internalize the things of worship. And you begin to have conversations outside of a Sunday morning time, which again can come through uh, coffee or lunch afterwards, or it can also come through small groups. And so then I want to kind of come back now to this fellowship and gathering idea and look at one more passage with us as we continue to talk about what it looks like to worship together. And that's Acts chapter 2. I love the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. I probably say that about a lot of books in the Bible, but uh, I really do love the book of Acts because, uh, man, what a powerful time when the church is is brand new, right? Jesus is just... Uh, ascended to heaven. He's left the Holy Spirit the, for the for the people and, and the disciples encounter the Holy Spirit and then they begin to say, tell others about the Holy Spirit and they experience it and baptisms are happening and people are being added to the church in droves and it's a beautiful thing and there's something here that tells us what it looks like to be the church that I think is important and that is Acts chapter 2 in verse 42. Page 780. 780. Thank you, Fontaine. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Sound familiar? That's something we do each week. That's something uh, we, people do all around the world, whether it's in a church or in a home. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's a couple of things there that I think are just incredible. One, you've got, if we work backwards here, you've got day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. But there's a reason that the Lord's adding to their number day by day. One, the Holy Spirit's moving in great power, which is, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the given. That's the catalyst for any church movement and any church growth is the power of the Holy Spirit, not us. But... Some of the things that they're doing, I believe, also contributed to the number being added day by day. One, they worshiped together. So they gathered together. And it says that some gathered in the temple, others break bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, but they were faithful at gathering together. They met each other's needs. They met each other's needs. Whatever the need was, and they met each other's needs as any would have them. So, any need that was had, they, they met it. There's a, uh, I'll tell you a cool story about that. There's a, a gathering of, of house churches that gather up in Michigan, that there's a big movement among non believers coming to faith and gathering in simple ways. And there's this uh, one guy who, good friends with, he said, We saw the church be the church in one of the most powerful ways when a young man came and began to worship in someone's home with them, and he came to faith in Jesus. And in his coming to faith in Jesus, he uh, was interested in a young lady, and they began to start dating, and the young lady started coming to church with him. And uh, before they were married, I'll just leave it that this, they were doing married things before they were married. You know where I'm going there. Um, and and the church said, that some of the elders of the church came back and said, hey, we feel like, uh, they showed them some scripture and said, we feel like um, that that the Lord has a better way for you all and uh, we'd love to help you get married. And they saw the the Holy Spirit worked and the Holy Spirit moved in their lives and said, you're absolutely right, we're ready to get married. And in the process of kind of planning to get married, uh, they found out that they were going to have a baby. And so the church then surrounded them and said, all right, well, we're going to cover all the things needed for you all to have a wedding ceremony. Uh, the, so all these uh, churches gathered together and said, we're going we're to we're make it happen. And they, had, they got married in the backyard of, of, uh, of some friends. It was a beautiful ceremony. Uh, the guy that's telling me this did the ceremony. And he said, what was really beautiful of the church after this was when the baby was born, the baby had a ton of health issues. And had to be in the hospital, had to be in the NICU, and their insurance wasn't going to cover a lot of the things. And so the churches in that area, the network of churches in that area said that we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to let them uh, be in debt because of this blessing that the Lord has given them through a baby. And so they all contributed to the need of that family, and they covered every bit of the expense that they had in the hospital. And this family, this young family, this young couple with their first child is now being overwhelmed by the love and the fellowship and the beauty of the church and what Jesus was doing. And so they met their needs. I have to think that that's probably what's happening in Acts. Hey, these people over here have a need. Well, let's meet it because we're the church and we're all one. Now, what's interesting here, if I back up, is that It says uh, in verse 43, all came over every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. I always chuckle when I read that because it's like the the apostle is uh, is telling we had no problems. Not a single problem in the church. Everybody was great. We all agreed on everything. It was wonderful. Yeah, right. Um, I have to think that they didn't agree on everything. Now, what, it, what we know here from Scripture, though, is that in Jesus, they were able to resolve the disagreements so that they could be the church, right? But you can't read it and say, man, how did they all get along? You know, they they never had any problems. Uh, I mean, we're going to have Thanksgiving next week. We know that never happens, right? I mean, there's always, something by, there's always that one in the family that you're like, we don't know how we got him, but he's here. And... Um, And it's hard to get along with them, right? And so there's always that issue. But what we see in the purity of the church as they follow Jesus is that even though there was need, even though they were all together, when there was disagreement, I think we could probably uh, read between the lines. We'll do some holy speculation, as I like to call it. (laughs) Is that as we read that, they had all things in common. The common thing they had was Jesus, And because Jesus was the common thread, because they wanted to follow Jesus and they wanted to listen to the Holy Spirit and they wanted to be obedient to God's word, then the little things became smaller things because Jesus became greater. And so when they met each other's needs, when they worshiped together and they uh, got along and loved one another, as the church is called to love one another, we see the result. And that is their number was added to day by day. Because what Christ offers through the church is extremely attractive if the church is healthy. Now, again, I use that word church being healthy. We, have, we as the church want to be, we're, and when you put a bunch of sinners in one room, there's always going to be stuff going on. Uh, I used to work with an older priest. He was in his 80s, and he had had about seven phrases that he would say all the time that we all loved. But one of them was, hey, if you find the perfect church, leave, because you're going to mess it up. (laughs) And he was so right, you know, because, hey, if I'm a sinner and I'm walking into this perfect church, it's not going to be perfect for long. But the reality is there is no perfect church because we're all fallen. But what is perfect is Christ working through us. And so that's where, when in the midst of all the craziness that can happen in a church, we have something attractive, and that is that the church shouldn't look like the world. The church should be separate from the world. The church should look like, hey, this is what it could look like, and it will look like when Jesus returns. And so it is our goal, it is our hope, that even in the fallen world and even with a bunch of sinners in one room together, that we could strive to be like Jesus so that the world and the lost world outside would say, I want to know more about that. Because they may not have it all together, but man, are they following Jesus and there's something different about them. That's what I believe the church has to offer through fellowship and through gathering. And when we do those things well and we love one another well, then we are indeed showing a lost world what it looks like to be in Jesus, and finally, I'll close, and then you can ask questions. Um, Matthew eighteen tells us um, that uh, Jesus's words here in Matthew eighteen, the, at the end of Matthew eighteen, um, tell us for sure that there that we're never going to be perfect. That Christians are never going to be perfect. Uh, that He would be perfect, but He says this in um, what you say seven o two. Matthew 18 in verse 20, he has said uh, in in verse 15 all the way down to 19, he's saying, if you sin or when you sin against one another, that's Jesus' words. It's not an if, it's a when. When you sin against one another. When you sin against a brother or a sister. So in other words, it's going to happen at times. Here's what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us to be reconciled to one another. He gives us a kind of a formula of what that looks like when we hurt one another. And so when we fall, I almost drew it up there, but um, that pit, you know, where chaos happens when we're in true fellowship and the pit of despair happens... It's an opportunity for reconciliation to be the church and to show others what it looks like to gather, to fellowship, and to truly love one another. And that's what Jesus' desire was. He says, when you hurt one another, you go to one another and you do the following things so that you might be reconciled. And then in verse 20, which we often take this out of context, and it's true in so many different contexts, but he's actually using it in the context of the church being reconciled to one another. He says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, There I am among them. What he's saying there is that when you hurt one another, when you don't do the things that others expect you to do and and you're at odds with one another, I'm in the midst of that as you seek reconciliation. I have the power to heal those things, to heal the hurt, to heal the wrong, to heal the, the things that you have done, even whether you meant to do it or didn't mean to do it. Jesus has the power to do that. And that's again where we see the church being different than the world. Is it, hey, I'm going to hurt somebody at some point. Ask my wife. It happens. You know, we're going to hurt one another. uh, Probably on a weekly basis, we're going to say something or do something that the other one is kind of like, ouch, that hurt. And then we have to go to one another and say, hey, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Will you please forgive me? Um, How can I do better? You know, we're reconciled to one another in that. Um, that's what the church is to look like. And when we do that, Jesus is saying, when you have a gathering of folks who are determined to be reconciled through through me, I'm right there with you. I'm in your midst. You're not doing this alone. And that is the product of the church, being the church. Forgiveness, reconciliation, worship, and fellowship together. So any questions, thoughts, fellowship, gathering, comments, criticisms, any of those things? Look, I finished early too. That's I don't ever do that. Um, so please ask questions. We got time. Maybe questions about prayer last week. You can ask those too. We didn't have a lot of time to ask those questions. Nothing. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, if you have questions, I'll hang around for a few minutes. Or if you want to chat about something, you're welcome to come and see me. Um, You have like 13 minutes now to get to church as opposed to three if you're going to the 11 o'clock, which is is my normal. So let me pray for us, uh, and then um, you're welcome to hang out and fellowship. Father, we're grateful for this time, grateful for your church. I'm grateful as the church, Lord, we are called to look different than the world, that you offer uh, forgiveness and reconciliation, Lord, you give us a better way and when you gather us together as a bunch of sinners, Lord, we know that we're going to hurt one another, but we're grateful that you taught us how to forgive, you taught us what it looks like to be reconciled, and you taught us what it looks like to be the model to the world. And so, Lord, would you strengthen us in our fellowship and our gatherings and the things that you've called us to do as the church. And I pray for each person who's in this room, Lord, that, um, that they would be spurred on not to be the pew potato but to be the ones who would engage with one another, would be in a small group, would uh, be actively involved in what is going on here in the life of your church. And may you use each of us for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.